This is Day Beautiful, a podcast that helps readers discover debut authors through in-depth conversations about books, culture, and life. To discover more debut authors, please visit daybeautiful.net and follow Day Beautiful on all social medias at Day Beautiful. Today's guest is literally all over the internet and in prints, The New Yorker, Vanity Fair, Oprah Magazine, Paper, HuffPost. He's a writer, comedian, and award-winning screenwriter based in New York City. His name is Greg Mania. His debut book is Born to be Public. It's a big, funny, gay memoir about being in your 20s as a hot mess in New York City. And I'm so grateful that Greg joined us on the podcast today. Hey Greg, how's it going? Uh, you're still you're you're back in New York City, right? Adam, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> oh, of course, I appreciate of course. It. And I'm a big fan of your site ever since its infancy. Uh, I'm good. I'm. Uh, yes, I've been back in New York for a few months now, but I'm actually right now for the week back in New Jersey, um, for very vainglorious reasons, which is to get my roots done before virtual book tour. <laughs> <laughs> So your hairstylist is in New Jersey, then? That's where yeah, you go? Friend, yeah, my friend Amanda, my we call her my hairy godmother, mm. hold for applause. Um, yeah, she, <laughs> she does the, you know, I don't touch my hair besides styling it, but yeah, she's uh, going to give me a quick little revamp before mm-hmm. we take Born to be Public on the virtual highway. And let's just talk about your hair. And and I, I what I love about you ever since I forgot how like on Twitter I'm sure like we just that's just how life happens now you find people on Twitter your point of view your style is so I don't know if you think it's important to yourself but I love it I love the hair I love the yellow I love everything when did this become Greg Mania what are you talking about <laughs> well what even yellow? is this your because you're not in your house are these yellow curtains your choice. <laughs> They well, they're my mom. Yeah, I'm in the guest yeah. room. My mom is like, "There's yellow. There's sunflowers right here. There's yellow curtains. My phone is just yeah. yellow." I refused to get a new iPhone until they came out with a yellow mm-hmm. one. So I stayed with my iPhone Seven and I had a yellow case because mm-hmm. it was like the Apple's like yellow case, and I was like, "I can't. I need to stay on brand here." Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that sounds disgusting, but, you know, once it came out, you know, my boyfriend got me the phone for my birthday and it was yeah. my optimal shade of pale yellow. <laughs> so when did yellow become your trademark? I think it was like ever since I was a little kid. Well, first of all, thank you so much for your sweet and kind words about, you know, my point of view and how I've you know tried to carve a space out for myself. I really appreciate that. And I appreciate you. And all that you do for debut authors, so this is just one big love fest for you. Um, but you know, to answer your question, yeah, it was just something that, like that I knew by default as a kid. Like, I think my mom said, like one of my first words as a baby was "yo," like "yo." I was trying to say "yellow," so I kept going like "yo, yo, yo." All right. Um. <laughs> no, I like that because, like, I, I we were, before we were recording, I talked about how I work with families who have infants with disabilities so i hear a lot of first words like i because that's always what we track like oh have any new words and um i like so yo as yellow i've definitely heard before and i love that that was your first words that was like my yeah my first words were either like i was trying to say my brother andy so i'd go ah ah mm-hmm. but then i would see yellow and i would like try to grab things i were yellow i remember my aunt wanda would um 
come by the house and she would always wear yellow dresses and I'd always like my little baby arms would try to like grab onto her. So it, I guess it's just been like a forever thing. Like I, my goal and like my guess my like 10 year goal is to, you know, how's like there's like the pink lady of Hollywood and the mm. green lady of Brooklyn. I want to be the yellow lady of like, I don't know, Poughkeepsie or wherever <laughs> I like the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I love it. Yeah, oh so my God. Long term goal. So, I, your book is obviously about you. It's a memoir. And we'll get there eventually, I promise. But yellow, just yellow growing up. I'm going to stick with your childhood. Did, <laughs> did, when, did, did you ever rebel against yellow? Was yellow always, like, were you just like, I can't be wearing yellow because I'm supposed to wear blue? Like, you know, bullshit societal norms. Like, like sort of gender yeah. norms. Mm-hmm. Um, no, you know, as a kid... And, you know, if you read the book, you know this. My parents were actually very accepting as um, as a kid. So they they encouraged my femininity. And, like, they let me dress up as Snow White for Halloween one year. My mom even did my, like, makeup. She put lipstick on me. Um, but, yeah, it was always, like, yellow, 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 like, all the time. I didn't have, like... Like, in high school, I wore, like... I was obsessed with pink, so I wore pink a lot. Um, so, yeah, I've, I always sort of gravitate towards that. There was, you know, the gender lines in our house. It was kind of a, um interesting environment because, you know, my parents hail from Poland. My mom's from Gdańsk, which is the north part of Poland. It's a seaport city. My dad is from Opole, so that's southwest. And they grew up with traditional values, but, and yes, the whole Eastern European immigrant experience is very much a part of our family narrative, but they also sort of, they were club kids in their twenties. Like they, my dad was a DJ and my mom like worked in nightlife. She was a producer and like worked with tours and cabarets and live shows. So, you know, they had that like propensity to rebel and this obviously passed that down on me, but this time, like as I grew up and, started dealing with bullying my parents were like well to shield you from the bullying um we have to sort of pull back and it was for my betterment and to protect me so like i and it was a part of me too like i had to sort of like uh reel the femininity back like my obsessions with like things like spice girls and the power rangers and like all of that sailor moon like all of that had to be like reeled in and you know, really had to move from public to private for a sort of combat of the, you know, both physical and verbal bullying I was enduring. So, but it was still encouraged, like within, within this dwelling, within this dwelling of this house, like that was still encouraged, but like I got the message, not explicitly verbal message that I had to sort of change and um, hide certain parts of me once I left four walls mm-hmm. and we've we talked a little bit about your memoir i guess we should actually introduce it uh born to be public is your memoir and we've already alluded to what it's about but quickly just i always like to get the author to tell me in their own words because i feel publicist and press always have to spin things a certain way but what is born yeah. to be public to you uh yeah i mean that's a hard question because, <laughs> i mean you're right there's there's market copy and all of that. Yeah, it's just um, it's a snapshot of it's like a Polaroid of my life from growing up closeted in New Jersey with 
you know, Polish immigrant parents to discovering the world of New York City nightlife and making a space for myself within it and then pivoting to a career in writing and comedy. So it's the book is set up in like sort of a three act structure. So, you know, you have growing up, your childhood, teenage, adolescence, all that. Then there's this whole chunk about New York nightlife in the early 2010s. And then it pivots to um, trying to carve a career for myself in this world and publishing and all that. So, yeah. And, yeah, I just... The idea of... There's so much to unpack, but Born to be Public... (laughs) It's a memoir, and we've said that. I've said that numerous times. I was looking for a tweet you tweeted. That's why I'm, like, distracted right now. Recently, recently you tweeted something like, oh, I'm so excited, in your trademark snark, by the way. Like, I'm so excited um, to explain what a memoir is and why I wrote one in my 20s as opposed to a biography or whatever. I butchered your beautiful language. Uh, yeah, I know you're talking about <laughs> my, There's only one meme that I ever use, and you know what it is. Mm-hmm. It's- Mm-hmm. It's like the glossy photo of Stephanie March as ADA Alexander Cabot in Law and Order SVU. And that's like the only meme that you'll ever see me use. At least it's the mostly the one that I like to use. It just became like this stupid like thing that I started doing. And it just like it stuck. Uh, yeah, it was basically like um Yeah, when I when I first started like publicizing the fact that I have a memoir coming out because it wasn't always a memoir like this book grew up with me I started writing it when I was an infant I was 21 22 and yeah writing a memoir is I mean it's not impossible to write one at that age it depends you know memoir is a memory it's a snapshot of a certain era something in your life that can be captured that's why um when People are going to say later in life, especially if you're and if you've reached that iconic status, you're going to release your memoirs, plural, meaning your memories in one body of work, which is known as an autobiography. Started talking about the fact that I have a memoir coming out. I have many times I'll get like, what? You're only 28. How do you have a memoir coming out? And I'm like, no, no, no. Memoir, it's like it, it captures an era of my life. You're thinking of autobiography, which is release an autobiography before 30 that's ridiculous a biography for like 70 is ridiculous so um yeah that's sort of a misconception i've gotten uh along the way where i've had to sort of gently explain the difference between memoir and autobiography which is something people you know get confused and that's not it's not a silly error it's 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 you know, it's a common error. It's understandable. So it's just something to be mindful of. Like when you see autobiography slash memoir, they are related, obviously. It's just the format is a little different. Like approach is different. And, and this snapshot of your life, I mean, the, the, the three-act structure of Born to be yeah. Public, um, it, I, I was most gravitated towards like the 2010 club scene and carving out becoming a writer. And and I, I'll leave your childhood to the readers when they finally explore it. But just because I feel like you and I have similar interests and paths in writing and the literary community, I do want to talk a lot about you breaking into it because it's a hustle. People don't get like this is a, like a, you do it better than me. Like this is like you got a well. Like I just 
pretend to do it on Day Beautiful, but you're on, you're in Bomb. Oh. You just published in the New Yorker. Like, you know, you, you are hustling. When, when did you first say, okay, I'm going to do the damn thing and start hustling in the literary world? Well, that's what, um, so I didn't take writing seriously until I graduated from undergrad at Hofstra. And then I was, but I was just interning at the time. Like I started interning at Cream Magazine and I was doing stuff for their website. And, but then I was also like falling in love with this guy who went to Pratt and I just sort of continued my schedule of like partying all night, sleeping till noon, but I graduated. So I didn't, I didn't have class anymore. So I would go out stay all night drinking with him, sleeping at Pratt, coming home in the morning, and then waking up at two in the afternoon being like, oh, I have a piece due for cream. So again, it was like, it was a weird transitional period. And as you read about in the book, there's a whole chapter about him. It, it was not great. Uh, <laughs> so once that imploded, then I sort of had to take a look at my life and pick up the fragments and sort of, put it back together and start anew. So when I moved back to New York City to pursue a master's degree at the new school, that's when I was like, I'm gonna take my interning more seriously. And that's when I started to like build a small portfolio. So I had some bylines and cream and then through the internet, other editors like Posture Mag would reach out to me, all these great like indie publications would reach out and I'll slowly start to build a portfolio. And then I got my first cover story. And then like, once I had a pool of work, that's when I was like, okay, because I knew that I wanted to write a book. Like right after I was like, I had this blog for a long time and I'm like, it was very voicey. And uh, looking back at it now, I deleted that shit so fast. I was like, I mean, in retrospect, I'm like, Oh God, it's awful. But I love doing it. And I was like, you know, people like it when I tell funny stories. So I'm going to start collecting some funny stories about nightlife and being gay and uh, big hair and all this stuff. And I knew, like, just from research and paying attention that in publishing, like, especially nonfiction, especially this was, I mean, publishing changes so fast, but five, six, seven years ago, it was very platform based and it's similar now obviously platform is still important but back then it was like when i was querying agents they were like mm, this is great material but we need your follower count to be like in the five digits um so like please reach out to us when you hit ten thousand followers and it was very much that response but there were agents where I signed my first agent. She was like, well, it's the story that sells. And I think publishing is going to start to realize that because they're making it rain book deals on like people who like YouTubers and they're on the bestseller list for one week and then their books appear. So I think publishing sort of got, you know, they realized that um, follower account doesn't equate book sales. Like it's the story. It's the, it's the body of work that really, um, is going to sell books and that's not dependent on your social media clout. So I think that's the direction that publishing is going in now. I mean, besides them, like handing out book deals left and right to like fired white house staffers, besides that, like I'm now 
publishing sort of realized that, you know, it's a story that's going to spearhead an author's success. But five, six years ago, I was trying to query and pitch. I knew that I had to build my platform and portfolio. So that's really what sparked this, this drive to get bylines. And, and you, I read about this. I wasn't necessarily going about it in a healthy way. I was doing work for free and just trying to like pile on as much, like as many credentials as possible because I was everything for this book. Like this was my, this is the, like the only thing I could see. I had my horse blinders on. I could see born to be public. And I was just trying to like race towards it and doing anything necessary. You know, it's like, it's like your book is your kid. And yes, this is my baby. And as a parent, you want to do anything you can to, uh, anything you can to make sure it has a long and successful life and me nurturing it and making sure that I can get it like out the door into onto bookshelves. So it really just started with like me trying to get bylines in these magazines. Slowly, I climbed my way into like HuffPost. And then once I those credentials, I could slowly start to network into other publications and websites. So it really was like a ladder that I had to climb. And as I grew up, Born to be Public grew up with me. So it went from like a collection of funny stories and it slowly turned into a memoir. And then I was like, oh shit, this is like a memoir. This is not what I thought it was going to be. But I mean, that's a good thing. Growth is ultimately what you want to strive for. Yeah, and 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 like I, I I use this term a lot, but I and I and I mean it every time I use it. Like you're a writer's writer. You are doing a memoir. You are trying. To, you are interviewing authors. You're writing essays. You're putting things out. Um, this is what you do. Like as opposed to someone like me, who I have a day job, and so I could fall back on that. I'm not. I don't need to hustle for oh, my I, paycheck. You know. I do too. You know, I work in a church right now, right? Like, oh, well, so. Like I have, but you're st- okay. That's that's fair. So see, everyone everyone has a day job, I guess, and then that is true. Every writer, in one way or another, does have something else. But you, you are public. Like you just like you had an exer in New Yorker today, which is the second best thing to happen to you other than talking to me. So you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> I've been to this for weeks. Um, and um, but like and then like you've interviewed like Samantha Irby, and then you like. Macy Carr, like everyone I love, you are also interviewing. How how often are you trying to publish? Is that something you think about? That you like, I, I have a quota I need to get? Or do you not think like that? Uh, yeah, of course, that makes sense. I mean, I used to have that mentality. I was like, I have to hit this amount. But I, I had to sort of um, create boundaries with that because I can sort of veer into unhealthy territory where I'm like, I didn't put out an article this month. Like my momentum's slowing down. I'm a failure. I'm prone to thinking like that. So I have to put, at least now I do this. Now I put myself first and I put my mental and emotional capacity first. Um, So yeah, I used to have that quota. Like I had to do like at least two articles a month, one humor piece and one author interview a month. But I'm like, no, sometimes I don't have, sometimes life happens, right? Like my personal life, there's always, things bubbling and things that have to be, you know, take precedent. So, um, yeah, I used to be like that. And honestly, I made that like that, that two pronged approach recently. Like, I guess I'll see in the past years where, you know, you mentioned that I like to do author interviews and that's become something I love doing. So 
for the longest time, like I was writing like satirical columns, like I had one in out. But then I started falling in love with interviewing authors and especially debut authors. And I wanted to sort of have uh, both feet in the game. Like I had my comedy and that sated one part of me. And then I interviewed an author and that sated another part of me. And that's just sort of how I've been operating. It was a great way to introduce myself to this industry, to the literary community, because I just, I love talking to authors and, and asking them like, you know, questions, but also like dumb questions. I'm like trying to get them to laugh and just trying to like maintain, um, you know, that voice, which I love to write in. That's me. So uh, yeah, that's been more recent. It's been like author interviews and trying to do like essays and whatnot. Um, but that was a great way to sort of break into the literary community and of course make friends yeah. and, and it's been, yeah, it's been wonderful. And then, like, let's talk about networking um, just in general. I feel like it's 2020 and, like, you know, you're someone who is active on Twitter and social media. And I don't, I'm not trying to say that you do it to network, but, it, like, it it's helps. A, yeah. yeah. It's important. Obviously, a lot of, you know, publishers want that. Like, they want their authors to be active on social media because, you know, it's it's not a polarizing thing thing at least not anymore it's not bad or good it just is it's our reality and obviously how we choose to use it is at our own discretion but yeah of course i when i first started using like twitter in like 2009 when i first got to college like i was just using it to like write jokes and obviously i still do that and it taught me a lot about joke writing because at the time the character limit was 140 and you really had to learn to omit all the extraneous material and keep it short and concise, which is a tenet of writing, especially comedy writing. But again, you have your long form, but Twitter really is that micro storytelling tool that I use. But now, obviously, I share my work and try to promote other voices and just foster a sense of community because it's the community that made me feel included and and obviously no industry or community is perfect but it helps to feel like you belong and I've been welcomed and it's been warm and nurturing especially from the writers that I've been so lucky to not just you know interview but become friends with like yeah. I never thought that that would be a, my reality but you know here we are yeah it's funny um, I feel like none of my real life non-writing friends are on twitter and so twitter is yeah. exclusively people i've met like you or um like chelsea beaker like people who like oh, we inter we interact on twitter you know it's not like we're like best friends but like we acknowledge each other and it's like that sense of community in 2020 especially during covid it's like oh it's nice that someone liked my tweet about watching silence of the lambs you know or something you know what i mean yeah. like just like things like that it's like oh that is nice. I'm so jealous you got to interview Chelsea Beaver. I Godshot was one of my favorite books this year. This 2020 is an amazing. Like I don't even know what's going on, and like it's like, did, do they hold all the books that were the best books ever for this it's year? An amazing. Well, I mean, I know, I know, there's a lot to complain and yeah. and criticize, and you know, just generally freak out over because obviously like gesturing broadly for the listeners. 
but uh, in terms of books, we are really lucky. Like, our, like superstars left and I mean, Luster, I just finished that this morning. Oh, so I missed it already. It's just like, it's one thing. It's been fire. It's one thing after another. Um, I'm reading Tomboyland now by Melissa Falabano, yeah. and I'm just obsessed with it. So, it's yeah. Been a- you're right. And then speaking of Tomboyland, I, I mentioned this when I talked to Melissa about, like, I feel like recently, and this ties back into your book, uh, publishing, and you talked about how publishing has changed, but like Takira Madden, Saeed Jones, you, Melissa, it's like queer voices are being given more opportunities now than ever. Right. And I feel like you can say that about any previously Brand marginalized or, yeah. community, but. Yeah, and I love to see that. I love to see, and I ran a book club when I lived in Phoenix, and people, someone said, like, I hate reading memoirs from, like, non-celebrities. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, that defeats the purpose of, like, <laughs> what a memoir is. Like, I want to learn about Greg's life, about, you know, Melissa's life, I, like, Saeed's life. Like, that's the point. Like, I, yeah. I didn't live your life, and yeah. I'll never be able to understand it fully, but... I did like I can appreciate. It. I was like, oh shit, this is what Greg did in this moment, you know? Yeah, that's the beauty of it. That's the whole yeah. beauty of that category. Mm-hmm. And like with the form, and there's so many different things. Like you said, Born to Be Public started as like I'm going to tell funny stories, and then it morphed, and I grew, and it grew. When you were writing it, when did you? How did you select what lens to view certain parts of your life through? Right. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, I mean, like you just said, I grew up with it, and I started to include pieces about mental health, about emotionally abusive relationships, about, you know, hardships. But I realized that, you know, Born to be Public, uh, as much as it is sort of a nod to our current reality where we are oversharing on social media, and I leaned into it with that title, It's also the other side of the coin where it's a lot of vulnerable things and a lot of things that I've never talked about before, like self-harm and suicidal ideation. And I I couldn't just tell these like brazen, over-the-top stories without sharing the other side of the mirror, which is these things are married to one another, these things about anxiety and depression and 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 drugs and alcohol like they they go hand in hand together it's the totality of these experience which birthed the title born to be public um so and in just in terms of conveying those things i just have to i i mean i metabolize everything through humor so no matter what it's going to come out like super voicey and there's going to be like stupid panera bread jokes like garnished within but um yeah that's sort of how i dealt with these things i mean especially the chapter roy which i included in the last minute because i just wasn't ready to write about that relationship but then one day i was just like i have to include this because it's imperative to the narrative of not just this book but my life and that was the pivot that i needed to make in order to really dive into making a career out of writing yeah did you ever because yeah like we are public and your book is very public did did you catch yourself editing inappropriately like you're like i don't know if i could tell this and 
leaving things out at first and, and then having to go back like not just that chapter but just like even little details where like maybe i shouldn't let everyone know that right i mean when you're writing memoir mm -hmm. or anything personal you always tell your story you don't co-opt anyone else's experience or story i always try to write from my perspective and then when i go back in editing i check myself i make sure that i'm staying true to that axiom of memoir and um yeah every experience is written through my perspective of of what i lived through and my memories of those experiences so i always make sure to respect people's privacy even people that i don't talk to anymore obviously changing their names and and just being very careful in the wording like you'll notice in roy like i don't diagnose him because that's his job but I just say, uh, according to what i told my therapist at the time she says that this is very familiar to borderline personality disorder which made a lot of which clicked a lot in me but i never said you know he's or i never diagnosed him i know you know it's things like that that are very sensitive but are crucial to my perception of the events so it's always important to be careful and just always circle back to you know your 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 experience and your memory and and just being respectful of other people's experiences and memories even though you share them you may share the same ones have people come out of the woodwork after they're like, yeah, I don't know, they see you on Facebook, you're still friends from high school or whatever, and they're like, oh, shit, what's this memoir about? Like, have you, have you, have, have like, people you haven't talked to all of a sudden want to talk to you? Yeah, it's yeah. wild. I mean, the book isn't even out Exactly. Yet. It's out in exactly a week, and my publisher sent out, uh, as part, it was a promotional thing, like, advanced, like, signed copies, and like fun cute little bookmarks and postcards and they sent them out so it was like 300 copies went out as of like last week so people are slowly starting to get it if they like got it on that promotion but it's not even out yet it's not until a week from today on the 25th of august and i have like an english teacher i like even take a class with being like i want to teach this to the class and i'm like do you want to get fired not appropriate it's not a not it's like it's not even appropriate for me like no one under the age of 30 should be reading it and i'm 29 uh, so it's been weird and like yeah family members like i got a call last night from from an aunt that is i would say like the most conservative in my like family's like my sweat was just like palpable. I saw the number come up and I was like, oh my God, like this is nothing is good good come out of this. Luckily she was just like, yeah, I saw it, that it was available and she was very sweet. But the people I was most nervous about was my parents. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So. How'd that go over? Cause I was gonna bring that up eventually. I was waiting. <laughs> yeah, so last week my dad texted me a picture of their copies of the book and i immediately retrieved my false passport from the fake book in my bookshelf and was like time to start life anew um obviously that's hyperbole i don't have a fake passport but i was like i'm gonna go live my best meryl streep Greek island life in just 
billowing denim overalls and just change my name because I was that nervous about my parents reading these things. And like people have asked me ever since I'm, you know, announced the book that are you going to warn your parents about some of the things in there? And like I thought about it, like I probably should, but I didn't just because I felt like this book is the most accurate representation of me. Like it really is me in totality from cover to cover. So the book, well, I took care of the book and now the book will take care of me and will let my parents know that I'm in a good place now that these things, these things happened. Yes. But ultimately it really is me sort of digging my way out of this and just having the self sustainability to thrive. And so my dad sent me the picture and obviously I'm back in Jersey now for a few days. I obviously been isolating. I got tested, made sure I was all good um, and I came here and this is my mom's review. She comes in and she's like, I loved your book. I read it twice. But are you still on drugs? <laughs> That's all she cared about. So they, they, it was really sweet. They loved it. Um, and then she made a joke. She was like, well, I'm going to release a memoir about my sexual exploits and make you uncomfortable now. And it was just really cute and funny. So she was joking. But they uh, they really loved it. And I'm just a big weight has been lift, like lifted. So I'm like, OK, they loved it. Now I can like deal with whatever criticism, <laughs> any cyberbullying that may come from it. As long as like they are, you know. As long as they loved it, I'm good. So, yeah, they've been very sweet and supportive. And just like I knew they would, even if I was nervous about what they would say, they are, regardless, unconditional in their, you know, love and support. Yeah, and we've talked about, and I love that. Uh, and, like, that, all parents, well, all good parents, I feel like are your parents. I, my mom, who definitely has never read Day Beautiful, will always, like, reshare things and, like, You'd be like, oh, I love this interview. I'm like, thanks, mom. I know you didn't read it, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's it's sweet. Um, we talked a lot about you know your Alexander or Alex Cabot jokes on Twitter, your memoir. One more thing about you is you scriptwrite. You you won awards and yeah. and you have mania like your your pilot about your life. Of, I just want to yep. talk about that just in general. Yeah. And you and I saw like you put, you shared a um an old movie you did. That's available mm -hmm. on Amazon. Yeah. That part of your life, that part of your writing, let's just, I, I, I have no question. Tell me about it. <laughs> sure. No, I've always loved storytelling at some point. Like, I didn't know. When I say at some point, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to write a novel. I'm open to it, but I just sort of gravitated towards screenwriting. And when I was at the new school, I wanted to explore it. I was falling in love with all these shows. Shows like Broad City were like half an hour combis and super voicey and over the top humor. I love that. I love that Alana and Abby are like extended versions of themselves. I'm like, well, I want to do that. And I met Dean Dempsey, who's a filmmaker and director, and he has a movie called Candy Apple. And I interviewed him for Cream when I was uh, interning with them. So I went to the movie and I fell in love with it because, again, it was based on him and his real life father and his real life father plays his father in the film. So I was like, I love this. I love how you like can just twist this narrative to your discretion, like as much as you want and you can do whatever you want with your story. And he turned out to be a fan of mine. And I was like, what, how is that possible? 
so we just like linked up and we started writing. I was like, hey, I want to write a uh, half an hour comedy pilot. Would you want to be my writing partner? Because I'm new at this. And I really think we could both benefit from having a collaborative relationship. And then we wrote a pilot called Eight and a Half Million. And then he got a second movie deal and he was like, hey, do you want to jump on with me as a co-writer? And I was like, oh my God, like, at first I was like, no, no, that's like your thing. Like, I'm not, I'm not a movie, right? I don't know what I would do. But he was like, no, you're ready. Like, we're going to do this together. And that, that, like, the rest was history. So we wrote and we made Dead Men's Barstool. And now it's out in the world. And uh, then I just, I took a class at the new school while we were, while all this was happening. I called the Producer's Craft. And it is a class that you sort of learn the business strategies of getting a a project made but one of the requirements was having a finished script so i was like oh i have like five pages of a pilot called at the time maniac and it was it was just sitting there and i loved it and i loved writing this character that's based on me and the class was like a kick in my ass to finish it and then after I graduated, I didn't want it just rotting there on my desktop. I wanted to do something with it. So I'm like, how can I? So it's like, okay, one movie credit to my name, like get this out into the world. And I started researching like reputable film festivals and screenwriting competitions and just started sending it out to all these competitions and whatnot. And then, you know, lo and behold, I, you know, get some laurels, which has been amazing and wonderful. Then I won a comedy writing contest with stage 32 and then what they do is they really like nurture their winners they will fly them out they will strategize with their winners and they will they will sort of match make you with agents and producers and managers in hollywood who are looking for whatever genre that you are writing so and i signed with a really great management company a few months ago and it's just been a slow build from there but it is a part of my career that i'm very much because i love doing it sure and then when you're writing a fictionalized extended version of yourself it's obviously different than writing your memoir how do you go about making greg mania who was funny into an even funnier greg mania character it's a lot of physical comedy because i love absolutely fabulous like one of my heroes is jennifer saunders who created absolutely fabulous wrote like every episode and was just like at the helm the whole time and but yeah it's it's and i also admire like abby jacobson and a lot of like they they know how to like make that extended versions of themselves into an art so it really is just like years of consuming that type of um material and content um and sort of just learning from that and the, the show is again it's over the top and there's a lot of physical comedy um which is something i love and i love to study i love watching jennifer saunders and joanna lumley like stumble out of a limo i think that's hilarious <laughs> it's just it, nothing makes me crack up more when abby jacobson is trying to pretend to be alana at that co-op she's the fork and then she falls backwards onto that display like i rewind that and watch it ten thousand times because i just love that so there's a lot of things you can do in the audiovisual world that might not translate on the page but could translate in this medium so it really is a 
fun medium to experiment with. And again, dialogue is my strong thing. And I could, you know, put this character together and use myself as uh, the springboard for that. And it's just been fun. Like, I've been having a lot of fun doing it. Like, I don't know if the show's going to get made, but like, writing the Bible, actually, this is on my, this is a feather in my cap. And I put this in the show Bible. It's having <laughs> Joanna Lumley as a guest star as Patsy Stone, as my character's mom. Like, one of my, like, dreams of having Greg Mania in the script, and his mom comes into town, and there's jokes about, like, if your mom's English, where's your accent? Like, Austin, I love Like, my name have two Gs at the end. Like, whatever. There's so many fun ways you could, you know, paint that environment. But, but that's the fun of it. That's having, in a perfect world, I'm writing a show Bible... Like, there's no budget restrictions. I'm just really going having these ridiculous stories. And and it's just been great and fun. And I, I hope I can continue doing it in some capacity. Yeah, and then just kind of wrapping up about, like, the writer's life. Um, we talked about, like, your old idea of, oh, I have to have a quota. And now you're putting personal health first. And, and then you mentioned, oh, you have a day job as well. Yeah. How Do you, do you block out, like, I'm going to write this amount of time? Um, how do you balance... Because, like, your essays and interviews, day job, yeah. promoting Born to be Public, script writing, writing screenplays, how do you balance all that? It is, it, I mean, it, it's a never-ending lesson in balance and creating boundaries. Uh, yeah, I've always had a day job, at least one day, like, right now I'm doing two. It's just, and then on top of that, freelancing. So it's really is, like, I keep lists and for me I like to visualize my uh uh endeavors and to-do lists so I always have a calendar and I just sort of like I color code things and sort of get a visual idea of what capacities require of me going forward and it really is listening to myself and my body now because now as I as I get older and I'm trying to reconcile how various traumas of my body it's it's very physical now and there's body pain and there are days where my spine feels like it's on fire and i really have to center myself first and if i don't write one day or do anything like i have to be okay with that and i am if i can't if i can't do it one day that's fine like you know rest isn't something that you have to earn it's just something you have to give yourself and and it's it's in itself its own reward because if you don't rest, you can't be your best self. Um, so I just really have to try to focus on one thing at a time. Like right now, I'm not working on another book proposal. I'm gonna promote Born to Be Public, and and uh, I'm gonna be present for the moderating I have to do for personal disclosures, and that's all requires my attention. So it really is like. There's that theory, and Jennifer Lawson writes about this in her, it's either her first or second book, but Jenny Lawson's Furiously Happy, I think she writes about it in Furiously Happy, the spoon theory, where you have like an allotted number of spoons a day, and sometimes you only have two spoons a day, and one of those spoons goes to showering, and that's enough for one day. Some days I might have more spoons, so it really is, again, that's another visual representation. Just is a matter of balance, but putting myself at the center 
Some days I'm a morning writer. So if I can get a few hundred words in in a morning, that's a great day for me. But if I don't, that's okay too. And I've learned to be okay with that. It's like, I think there's that, like, there's a certain element of like privilege and of being like, I, I can write a thousand words a day. That's great if you can. Um, that's uh, wonderful. But sometimes I can't do that. And I think to have, again, that's like that environment we've read and hustling and nonstop working and doing that. Like, we have to prioritize our health too. So I really tried as Yes, I do have multiple projects, but sometimes I have to put some in the periphery and know that my attention will eventually get to them. And it just really is a matter of trying to limit where my attention is going and try to do my best work on what's in front of me at the time. Definitely. And I'll wrap up. I know you love books as much as me. You finished Luster today. You're reading Tomboy Land. What are books just off the top of your head, no pressure, that you just absolutely love this year? Obviously, Sam Irby's Wow, No Thank You. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Godshot, as we talked about Chelsea. Luster, obviously, was great. Uh, Maisie Card book, uh, These Ghosts Are Family. Phenomenal. Brooke Bennett's The Vanishing Half. Major, 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 major. Real Life came out in February, I believe, so that counts. Brandon Taylor. Michael Arsenault, like, uh, I Don't Want to Die Poor. Michael's also just a god. Um, <laughs> I, I keep going. No, I know. I love it. It's like, that's that's the thing. I just love, like, we, we already said it, but, like, 2020 is a shit show. But, man, it's just book after book after book. It's like there's no time. All My Mother's Lovers. Mm. Ugh. Yeah, we can go on. <laughs> I love it. I, I love 2020. I, I know the world's falling apart in more ways than one, but I feel like literature is holding us together. Sam Lansky, Broken People. I can't stop. See, now See? you're going to have like, Sam Lansky's Broken yeah. People have me like going. Like, it's, Yeah, there's so many good ones. Are there any on your radar that you've just like heard about or seen that, that you have in mind that are coming out? Yeah, I just got a galley of Memorial by Brian Washington. Mm. And I really, really loved his short story collection a lot. So I'm stoked to read that. Lindy West has Shit Actions coming out in a few months. It is fall. It's coming out this fall, and I'm really excited to read that. Um, I know there's more. Now I'm blanking because sure, yeah. I'm not in my home, so I can't see like the galley, my pile of galleys. But yeah, I would say... Yeah, there's some major titles coming out in a few weeks. A super thank you to Greg Mania for joining us on the podcast today. He's on all social media at Greg Mania. His website is greg-mania.com. A very special thank you to my friend Raquel, who is letting me use music from her brand new music project, Rocky Colin. Please check out her music at rockycolin.com. As always, you can find me at daybeautiful.net. All of the social media is at daybeautiful. Please subscribe to the podcast and keep checking out the website for more interviews and book recommendations. I hope everyone's staying safe out there. Until next time, I'm Adam, this is Day Beautiful, and you're all beautiful. Beautiful.